1: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Why are you following me? The stuff you wear is inappropriate for what you're planning on doing. You don't know anything about me. ready
0: they're not and none of the stuff that you're thinking means anything anyway never kissed anyone before hello and welcome back to still watching uh i'm vanity fair senior writer joanna robinson
1: and i'm vanity fair chief critic richard lawson
0: what we do on this podcast, uh, if you are not already familiar, is that Richard and I pick one TV show that is currently airing and we watch it sort of obsessively week by week, episode by episode, break it down. Uh, we are currently watching We Are Who We Are, the HBO miniseries from uh, film auteur Luca Guadagnino, and we are here to discuss episode four um, which doesn't have a, a fun episode title cuz none of them do um but this is the I, what the house party episode the wedding episode whatever you want to call it um but we will not be discussing any future episodes of the series just this episode episode 4 and what has come before it um,
1: it's uh it's like reverse much ado about nothing instead of guys coming home from war and getting married the, yeah. the guy gets married and then goes off to war
0: Oh, uh, it's true. Oh man, that just makes me want to watch much ado. Um, so. Uh- before Richard and I get into the episode itself, uh, we want to read a couple emails that we got. We got some great emails from you guys this week. Uh, still watching pod at gmail.com is where you can find us. I've been like really delighted by the feedback of folks watching the show with us. Um, because I think as we mentioned, maybe a little anxiously at the top, like this isn't our usual kind of show that we cover. Uh, and I wasn't sure how many people would come along for the ride with us, but, um, a lot of people seem to be really enjoying, uh, watching the show and discussing it. With us, so that's um, that's gratifying. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's my perfect um,
1: Italian that I keep trotting out. It's <laughs> really what's doing it, I think.
0: Uh, so uh, I will just say we got a uh, a large number of emails uh, all on one topic, um, which was people think we misinterpreted a line, and I think they're probably right. Which is uh, when I asked you, Richard, like, what do you make of? Chloe Sevigny's character, um, saying like my kind, but not my type or my type, but not my kind. I forget what it was. And I thought it was about Hillary Clinton. We talked about how it was about Hillary Clinton and everyone who emailed us is like, I'm pretty sure she was talking about her assistant who she later like dances provocatively with. And I was like,
1: oh, Oh.
0: of course. But the assistant is a
1: metaphor for Hillary Clinton, right?
0: (laughs) Obviously. Didn't you see his white pantsuit? Um... So Richard, do you want to take a crack at re re evaluating that line? If we think it applies, uh, to her, her handsome puppy dog assistant.
1: The line is what it's my type, but not my type. Or What is it?
0: Uh, let us see if someone kindly wrote it out for us. Um, my type, but not my kind.
1: Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, like the, his qualities are, right. uh, appealing, Uh, And yet there are certain other realities that (laughs) I guess would be a bridge to to, uh, or an obstacle to a relationship, Mm -hmm. Um, which I kind of like that way of thinking about it. Like, um, you know, I'm certainly like I find myself drawn to people who don't fit my, I guess, sexual orientation or whatever. Uh, And it is a kind of crush, you know, so Mm -hmm. certainly those are my type of people. They're just not. I guess my kind. I mean, is that what she means? Like, I don't know. Cause when I say my kind of people, I guess I kind of mean my type of people. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I just don't know exactly how to distinguish type from kind, uh, in that context, or maybe he's not her kind because, uh, he's a Democrat interested in hearing Mm, Clinton talk. There you go. Um, but, uh, yeah. So like, well, but thinking about like how Jonathan, the, the cheerful himbo assistant who loves poetry, um, poetry, uh, is not, uh, is her type maybe. Um, like, does he remind us of, um, the Alicia Braga character? Like, uh, Maggie, I don't know that I see a one-to-one there, but, um, you know maybe yeah maybe she just likes like nice kind nurturing people which both of those people seem to be
1: yeah yeah exactly like she's a nurse and takes care of people and yeah he takes care of her in a way and uh seems to have a sensitive soul so um yeah but also i mean in some ways that the line suggests maybe a kind of prison that she's found herself in or maybe made for herself which is like mm. that those are type and kind i mean they they should Maybe agree most of the time, but
0: I know I it's know. interesting. Well, and it, like we'll get into it in this episode um, with the party, but like, I, you know, there is some interesting. Questions of that going around with the, the kid group as well of sort of like, what is my type? What is my kind? Um, thing, especially as like in a, in a setting where we're like, you know, swapping partners or, or whatever. Um, yeah. and then another email we got, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um, comes from John and John writes in, um, Thank you so much for the podcast. I'm getting a lot out of listening to your discussions, especially about the perspectives about the parents of the most recent episode. I find myself so caught up in the stories of the young people that I don't see all that's going on with the parents. And I'm also distracted over how much alcohol Fraser is consuming. Uh, It's true. Watching this episode gave me like a stomachache and a headache at the same time. Uh, Okay. Okay. Two thoughts about your recent discussions. Uh, one, in episode two, I loved your calling out the way the show uses sound and ambient dialogue to build out the atmosphere, particularly the way we hear the soldiers talking about gang raping a woman while Harper sits and reads. I've noticed something similar with visual cues in Luca's movies in ways that often situate issues of power and class like the refugee camps um, on Lepidusa in the background of shots in a bigger splash, the way the cam- camera lingers on an open freezer that Elio forgot to close in which the maid closes for him and call me by your name, all the shots of all the cooks making all the food in I Am Love. We get these quiet but not really subtle reminders that the characters in his works live lives of wealth and privilege. Those cues feel different in the series, similar in that they really mark American versus un-American, an inherent power dynamic you've talked about the way Harper's house is decorated versus the way Frazier's house is decorated, et cetera, but different because the military drabness of the base does so much to mask class distinctions. Um, I really love this observation from John Richard. What do you, what do you think of it?
1: Well, yeah. And I think that that tension of class and, you know, it certainly nationality for this uh, show um, are everywhere in the series. You know, I think that in some ways it's about it's what the series is about. Um, Well, it's about a lot of things, but, um, you know, and I think, I mean, you see that you see another version of that in this episode where uh, this the presence of Russian money is there, you know, which is another huge geopolitical thing that is dealt with in a uh, not, you know, in an indirect kind of poetic way. Um, But there's certainly a class element there. I mean, this person is or whoever lives in this, you know, mini mansion or whatever has a a certain financial status above any of the kids who are kind of, you you know, availing themselves of their house. Um, You know, I don't know. So I I think it's interesting and and I, I like thinking about it also, I, I, you know, tying together um, all all of the threads from his other movies. um, It certainly seems to be a fascination of his.
0: Yeah. I never, I never uh, observed that for myself. Um, in his other movies, I of course like knew that his subjects were privileged subjects. Um, but I hadn't noticed uh the way in which he sort of lampshades that idea with uh some of these um camera uh shots. So anyway, I will be on the lookout for more of that, more of that background. Um, uh, I guess. Um. Uh, Um, all right, so in this episode, uh I actually wanna start at the end and we'll then we'll I'm back to the beginning, but I want to start with a pair of songs that were used. And we've talked before about the soundtrack and the and um the score of this uh series, but this the episode ends with two sort of back to back, very explicitly uh tied to war songs. We've got uh Brittany sits down at the piano and she plays um uh not, that's not that, Soldier of Love, um, which is an older song that I, has been sort of famously covered by Pearl Jam, but is a much older song. Um And, you know, the lyrics are like, lay down your arms and love me peacefully. And it's just about like war and being a soldier and all that sort of stuff. And then what plays over the end, the very end of the episode as, um, we see, uh, you know, our our uh, young bridegroom going off to war uh, is Living With War, which is a Neil Young song. I think it's a cover. Um, but it's like the lyrics are like, I took a holy vow to never kill again, war in my heart, etc. Um, and we've talked, you know, we've talked before about the way in which this show is not exactly uh, casting a hugely positive light on military or American military in general, though, though not making it the explicit subject of the show, but, uh, once again, uh, in a apparent Luca Guadagnino style, the sort of the background, the set decorating of it. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, I loved these musical choices. These are both songs I wasn't hugely familiar with. Um, I, they seem more on the nose than his usual, uh your know, style in terms of what songs to pick but like what do you make of this back to back uh you know musical choice
1: well yeah i mean they just underscore the um tragic juxtaposition that it turns out at the very end the whole episode was working to set up um you know and and it also made me think about where these kids live and how they live and who they live under um and i think we tend to think or the 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 bigger american, you know, consciousness tends to think of kids growing up steeped in violence as being kids from the quote-unquote inner cities, you know, uh mm-hmm. where there's gang stuff or um, you know, some other version of that in some, you know, american towns. Um and yet these kids are steeped in violence. It's just violence with authority. It's 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 blessed by the government, you know. Um, right. but everything they're there for is essentially uh, pointed at um, either killing as an act of defense but very often it, when it concerns the American military as offense and um, and you know I don't think that the kids are being that's being directly communicated to them every day but it's around them and I think it's not surprising then that you see them so I mean you know I was not the, the goodiest of two shoes when I was a kid, but like I certainly wasn't breaking into houses and making a terrible mess and you know all this stuff and, and I cringed watching the episode, but oh, for sure. but you think about it uh, you know this is at least this is a healthier expression of you know kind of id uh, or or not id maybe not the right word, but a healthy expression of of, of that energy that sometimes can be ch- channeled into either state- sanctioned violence or just sort of personal um stuff and and then to see all of this riot happening with these kids for the the length you know almost the entire 50 minutes of the episode and at the, the very end watching this one guy leave the party and get funneled right into this you know system of of supposed order but that has created so much chaos across the world for the past you know many decades um it's a really tragic ending i think Um, And, and, and I really, I think that it, you know, I like that the show, uh, you know, made such a potent point after several episodes of kind of this dreamy, languid thing.
0: Yeah, there's a couple moments of uh, frenzy. I think you said riot and I like the word I wrote down was frenzy and like the first... Uh, is at the end of the paintball sequence, when they just sort of... I mean, the paintball sequence in itself, this sort mm-hmm. of, like, kids playing at war moment, the fact that, like, um, I think it's Danny who does it, like, that they, like, just shoot Fraser well beyond, uh, you know, past the point that they needed to, and stuff like that. And we see the welts on his chest later, and stuff like that. But, like, at the end of that paintball sequence, they've there's just, like, an absolute you know riot <laughs> and, and like once the paintballing is done and they're just like throwing their clothes at each other and stuff like that and then there's another sequence in the party there's this one dance break where like I swear to you the direction must have been like frenzy go for it mm-hmm. like do pick movements that just feel like a frenzy and uh, and it it is I uh I w- I was informed by the various, like, reviews I read by by our colleagues who had watched uh the screeners that HBO provided that there was a party episode, that there was an episode that was just, like, entirely a party, essentially, which I guess is this episode. I was envisioning something different. I was envisioning our characters going into a larger house party mm-hmm. and sort of, like, the, you know, the story following them through that. The fact that it's a smaller house party actually makes it feel more dangerous. There's just a sense of danger uh, in this episode a sense of like, what's going to happen. How is this going to go terribly wrong? And actually like the party itself doesn't go terribly wrong in the way that it might have. Um, but the real danger is like waiting for us at the end of the episode. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I was thinking a lot about um, the Hurt Locker and uh, that Sam Mendes movie Jarhead with Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Mm-hmm. where there are these scenes of these soldiers you know in the case of hurt locker they have such an incredibly i mean every job in the military and especially when you're deployed is stressful but these guys are disarming you know explosives and there's a scene where they're in a tent or somewhere i forget and they're just like punching each other and they're just kind of getting that 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 stress out uh and then in jarhead there are these scenes of the like the soldiers and the, that whole movie is about these guys in the gulf war like waiting to like kill someone essentially and and feeling this you know animalistic urge, I guess that they have to then kind of expel upon each other, like in this tent and they're drinking and carousing and, you know, um, and, uh, you know, that this, this, the, 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 the two kind of big party riot scenes in this episode feel like the same thing. Um, and only one of these kids is actually about to go off and do the other thing. Right. But these other kids are so aware of it all the time. You'd have to be. Um, and I think just, you know, I hadn't maybe naively, I hadn't really thought about it until this episode that like the the kid who leaves, like he's probably what, 18, 19, you know, Uh, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the people that are getting sent away to fight some shadowy something, um, are children, you know, (laughs) and, and I think that's really starkly stated in this episode, even though. You know, there are some sort of stylistic extremes that I'm like. Eh, are, are there really any kids who are that just sort of brazen about sex and breaking into houses and whatnot? I mean, there <laughs> probably are, um, probably. but I think that all of that abundance serves a point. Um, yeah. I also thought about the Gaspar Noé film climax. I don't. Have you ever seen that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah. That is much more of a sort of relentless. It's not even really a party. It's kind of a descent into madness, but, um, but just this kind of relentless imbibing and drinking and drugging and all this stuff that like and then leads to that weird bottomed out point at the end of the party um, where the rest of the kids get to kind of deal with the hangover and this other guy has to scrape himself off of the floor kiss his wife oh, goodbye Lord. essentially and like march <laughs> off to you know um, yeah. so it's just really setting a really um, po- uh, you know powerful um, image of how Kids, the, the the stakes of their lives, even though they're all hanging out to, with each other, can be very different within a, a you know small group of friends.
0: Right, right, and that sort of like the fawn last look um, that Craig gives as he walks out the door, and the fact that like of all the kids, you know, like we're we're getting more and more information about the personalities. You know what I mean? And like Danny has his anger issues and his religious conflicts. Sam has his like. Um, Stress over what's happening with Harper and Fraser and stuff like that. Um, but C- Craig of all the young men just seems the most like happy and loving and like, mm-hmm. y- you know, innocent, uh, in a certain, like, oh, you know, older and wiser maybe by what six months or whatever than, than like some of his compatriots, but like also just like the loveliest. Like he wants, you know, and, and like those, those, uh, So these songs at the end, these two songs at the end about, like, soldier of, you know, like, lay down your arms and love me peacefully, you know, like, of all the people in this party, in this situation, in this episode, least seemingly suited for war, I feel like Craig is that person, well, maybe Fraser, but like, you know, like, like, Craig, this, like, loving, um, like, joy-seeking character, um, is the one going off to war it's just like and i and i think it's made all the more the tension on that is made all the more clear by this anecdote that happens i think it's about like a quarter to halfway through the episode when they're playing it's not spin the bottle it's like spin the truth or dare spin the Mm -hmm. spin the truth i don't know but it lands on britney and she tells a story about a soldier with ptsd who um you know like physically threatened his wife and all this sort of stuff like that and actually did like, hit her with a lamp oh, or something oh, right and hit her with a lamp yeah yeah, yeah. so like you know uh, th- this this uh, husband who came back from war and um you know couldn't process his trauma and and uh, took it out on his wife uh and, himself and um Dropping that on the day that Craig is married, this one, however ill advised this 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 teenage marriage may be, uh, dropping that as a specter of like a potential future is really chilling.
1: Yeah, and it, it makes you think about like a broader generational thing, you know, between millennials, Gen Z, um, the younger half of Americans, I guess, and 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 people the world over, really, um, you know that that Anne Helen Peterson, the writer, coined that term, the burnout generation. Um, where these kids you know they're having this party but they're all kind of aware that they're on this conveyor belt into a very uncertain adulthood and whether that's you know who knows why Craig joined the military you know a lot of young people join it for financial reasons you know and and so he has to become part of this machine to kind of force himself into a a secure enough version of adulthood Um, and who knows where these other kids are going to go um, and watching them sort of revel in the, the moment, in the present tense, reflective in the title of the show. Um, all the while, this kind of, this new day, this new, this dawning of a new era of their lives, uh, is creeping up on them. And and it does literally for Craig at the end of the episode, and yeah, um, it's just I don't. It's sad. It's it's you know, uh, it's it's t- it you know, this show is 2016. It's tough times um, for a lot of people, and tough tougher ones are are to come. Um, you know,
0: it's it's interesting that you. I think you mentioned. Did you mention Shakespeare? Oh, you mentioned Much yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, it's interesting that you mentioned Shakespeare because I was thinking about uh it as well in terms of like some of the. You know, the more, like, Midsummer Night's Dream is sort of the the best expression of, like, you know, kids wilding out in the forest, sort of bacchanalia kind of thing. Um, But I was also, you know, obviously, I don't think you can watch, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I thought a lot about uh, Romeo and Juliet and specifically, like, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo plus Juliet, which I actually just watched last week again for uh, the millionth time. Um And I think it has something to do with, like valentina's wedding dress mm-hmm. and like the hawaiian theme and stuff like that and the pool jumping into the pool in her wedding dress and stuff like that it's just like it felt like Baslerman, romeo and juliet iconography and it uh, that that film uh which i've only grown to appreciate more um is does such a good job of and especially as you get older and watch it like making Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes uh, their Romeo and Juliet feels so young. So young. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, um
1: there's also, um, uh, Guadagnino's countrymen or from many centuries ago, Boccaccio and, and the Decameron, you know, about these young people who flee to the hills right. outside Florence to escape the plague. Um, and in essence, these are what, that's what these kids are doing if, if much more temporarily, you know, and the plague is a lot more diffuse. Or, you know, it's going to become much more literal in a few years, but, um, but, uh, yeah, that sense of, of, um, abandon, like, amid ruin, you know, and I think, right. I think in, in, um, in, and you got the title wrong, Joanna. it's William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. Um, <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> you know, all the neon and, and, you know, a lot of that yeah. was filmed in Mexico City and it just has this, like, kinetic sort of energy to it. Um, And there's so much beauty in it. uh, And yet there is also a certain grit. Um, Right. And so it's people making do with what they have. And I think that that's why it's so interesting that they steal away into this house that, you know, one could extrapolate a lot of Russian money has (laughs) come from its ill gotten gains, uh, like a lot of American money. Um, And uh, and so they are finding a sort of joyous uh, moment within, uh, these very, um, charged and threatening spaces.
0: Right. And you watch this, um, marriage, uh, you know, play out. And like, uh, I think, you know, Sam is the one with the most vocal objection to what's happening to his brother. I do have questions. So like Craig, mm-hmm. Craig is, uh, in the airborne division about to be, uh, you know, deployed. um, is his family, like, what is his brother doing there? Like, is his family there? You know what I mean? Like, why would his brother also be there is, is a question I have. Like, is he the legal guardian of his brother? Do his parents also exist on this base? Like what's, I don't, I have, I have some questions that we may or may not get answers to. Yeah. Um, that hadn't occurred to me until, uh, this episode where I'm like, why, why is his brother there? But, um, you know, the, the wedding of Craig and Valentina, uh, you know, feels feels as ill advised as any sort of I'm shipping out tomorrow, uh, we're teenagers' wedding might seem. But also it's just sort of like it feels I feel like what's so, what? what's the harm? <laughs> like all right, yeah. so they did this, and like maybe they'll get divorced or like well you know, the, the second he comes back, maybe she will uh you know regret her decision and and want out of the marriage or whatever, but it's just sort of like I don't know wedding weddings can be undone, it's okay um it felt it feel it felt like this is i i just I felt like it, enormously like supportive of whatever Craig felt like he wanted to do to make this terrible thing that he's about to do not feel as terrible you know
1: yeah and she seemed to understand that too in agreeing to do it you know yeah it was there was a casualness when they're trying on the dress and and you're like you know oh your parents are gonna ground you for two years just so you won't cheat on them and they all laugh and it's like yeah she's probably gonna cheat on them. (laughs) it's two years and she's like very young (laughs) you know um and so i think that it's it's more just like um you know they're playing it a little bit of you know being grown-ups the irony being that like he's about to go do a very you know supposedly grown-up thing Um, you know, so it's that, that weird space where like old enough to be in the military, not old enough to buy a drink legally, you know, um, the way that we kind of, that the military treats, uh, young people very much like adults in certain cases while the rest of the world or their country doesn't, you know, um, that contradiction is certainly, uh, there.
0: I want to talk about this question of Fraser, um, who, you know, was our, like, I don't know if this episode belongs to anyone, like maybe Craig most of all. Um, but you know, since Fraser was our entree into this world, I still often think of him as our main character, whether or not that's accurate. And um, it's funny I've been I've been hearing from some folks watching and, and listening to this podcast that they're having a lot of issues with Fraser, which I don't. Um, you know, that's not a mystery to me as to why he's a he's a challenging character, especially when we see him interact with his mom, Sarah. But um but in this episode what struck me as like, you know, it's clear that he's he's not been like fully welcomed into this group by the way that the boys the other boys like pelt him, uh, you know, mercilessly. Uh but he's also just like he, he's in A couple instances of, like, being a giver or nurturer in this episode, Mm -hmm. like, when he – the moment on the bus where, like, he hands Danny the chips and Danny just takes them and Danny seems sort of, like, I don't know, kind of surprised and, I don't know, grateful. It's this tiny, tiny gesture, but it's, like – it's it's a measure of warmth from Fraser towards Danny that Danny certainly hasn't earned by any of his behavior towards Fraser that we've observed, right? Yeah. And then when he comes in and takes care of Sam, like brings the tea for Sam And then when he, he like, kind of helps wrestle up dinner, not really, but he, like, finds the spaghetti and then demands that the Italians get in the kitchen and make it uh, or, like, finds the music or whatever it is, you know, like, he's not in, like, a needy way, but just sort of like in an – this just seems like his natural mode is to sort of uh, care give um, in the way that we've seen – not uh his military mom but his nurse mom do you know and mm-hmm. so i don't know do you like how intentional do you think that is like what what did what was your takeaway from that
1: yeah no i mean i can certainly relate to you know if you're feeling uncomfortable within like a new group of friends or you're trying to either right. you know half half-heartedly or wholeheartedly trying to break into that friend group like i certainly when i was younger maybe still am the person who like tries to be helpful and yeah, provide same. and you know he brings the champagne he finds the music he brings that like potted fake flour out to when they're eating spaghetti you know oh, right. but, like yeah. he's like <laughs> contributing in a way which yeah. is a way to be seen you know i think about like yeah. when i was really trying to get into like the theater group in, co- in college and like i was like i volunteered to like assistant stage manage these shows for, and it was like real drudge work and you know whatever but like it meant that i was there and i was doing something and i was seen and counted you know um and i think it's sweet and it, it, it is obviously really contrasted by the way we see him in other scenes uh, in other episodes where that he's not sweet at all um so it just further kind of conflicts in an interesting way the portrait of fraser that we're getting um, as does the stuff with whatever is happening sexuality wise with him you know where he has this girl I didn't pick up her her name Sola, Sola, Sola. who's really throwing herself at him almost as a kind of like Maybe she's trying to tease out something from him. Like, maybe she's trying to get him to say, I'm gay, or whatever. Um, And he seems, you know, unsure what to do there. He kind of kisses her back in one scene because maybe he feels like he should, or he doesn't want to disappoint her or something. Um, And then you have Caitlin slash Harper, who is very protective of him uh, in a way that...
0: confusing. Yeah, it's because it
1: feels it's nice when she kind of, when they're all dancing and the girl is kind of getting up in his face and she just kind of gently takes him away. And yeah. then that later when she, when he tells her, Oh, I kissed her back. And, and Kate slash Harper is like, don't ever do that again. And you're like, where's right. that coming from?
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Cause, um, <clears throat> I almost, uh, so in last week's episode, they were like, let's never kiss, right? Let's agree to never kiss. Yeah. And and that sort of seemed to feed into what you and I had been asking, which is like, is this going to be a romance or is this going to be just like great pals seeing each other and supporting each other? But I think Harper is trying to do something Else, which is almost used Fraser as a beard, would be my interpretation mm-hmm. of what's happening in this episode. Uh most especially in the scene in the wedding uh scene when Sam, who is freshly uh you know, the ex, is is looking over and Arbor reaches out and grabs um Fraser's hand and Fraser seems confused by it. Um, and that just seems to, you know, and, and Brittany says something like, since you started dating t shirt and is not contradicted. And so I think, you know, like Ar- Harper's using Fraser to a certain degree, not in like a malicious way, but just in like a safe harbor of like, I don't have to, t- to explain myself or fully, fully deal with this thing that I'm still trying to figure out. Uh, it, people will leave me alone if they think I'm dating this person, however improbable this person may seem. Does that, does that seem
1: fair? Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think that's a, unfortunately there is oftentimes collateral damage of a sort when people are figuring out themselves, you know, and uh, people use other people as protection or as uh, you know, something else. But um, yeah. And I, I also, you know, speaking about Harper's like, uh, developing, or 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 at least developing in the show, her, her identity stuff like, like the the paintball scene where she doesn't, you know, uh, it's Craig, right, who, who doesn't shoot her, and then later they're asking at the party, and he's and she's like, is it because I'm a girl? And right, that is such an, a clearly such a loaded, frustrated question coming from Harper, uh, that of course Craig, in his kind of leery state, doesn't really recognize and maybe wouldn't have went sober either, um, but we do. And that right. that line definitely feels um, laden with a lot.
0: Absolutely. And, and also, um, I actually forget who is the one who said it to her. I think it's Greg. Um, said something about, um, like, beautiful hair. You have beautiful hair. And that's just, you know, something that, like, Harper has a lot of hair. And, like, when it comes to, like, uh, there might be some androgyny to like the, there's like, a, they're wearing like a large basketball jersey and stuff like that before everyone is like in their underwear. They're wearing like a large basketball jersey and stuff like that, but like the hair is like so long and so voluminous. I don't know if it's going to survive uh, the series. We'll find out. But, um, the, uh, yeah. And also the question, the question of the naming, which you and I have been sort of going back and forth on and gendering and stuff like that. It's, it's, um, I don't want to overblow the challenge. It's not like hard or whatever to like – I want to gender someone accurately. The, the question is like how do you gender or how do you name someone who is unsure of themselves? And it was interesting because like uh, one of our listeners pointed out that there was like something wrong in our podcast description on the podcast app. And I was like – I didn't see it right away. And I was like, oh, is it because – the name Caitlin is used in the description. Is that what they were talking about? It wasn't. And and our our producer Dave, who's the one who did the description, he was like, "Oh, I just grabbed that from the HBO description." So the H- HBO is calling his character Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Fraser even in this episode calls the character Caitlin, which is not what he's been calling them. Uh, And so I didn't know if that was like supposed to mean something like that. He was so drunk at that point that he wasn't being like conscientious with what he was calling this person or not. Um, But I just, I, you know, that, that question of like, is it because I'm a girl? You know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's complicated, which I like. I love that the show is complicated. So, you know
1: yeah it is and um uh, you know this episode um there are aspects of it that i think are hard to love uh because the party seems a bit alienatingly like intense um
0: but (laughs) you've never had sex on a couch in front of like five of your friends while
1: someone tinkers on a (laughs) piano and someone else is naked walking around asking for underwear yeah that's never happened to me unfortunately not relatable yeah (laughs) um and i've been to fire island a lot joanna so and that still hasn't happened to me um but yeah but you know even even you know my my sort of like you know clutching my pearls um there's such a a nice um in in terms of the way that the filmmaking like it's such a natural flowing kind of episode uh that uh really i think is the show hitting its stylistic stride um i love the music choices the two you mentioned the the sort of, the more orchestral piece at the beginning when they're having a slow motion paint slash hose fight um and then the way it all builds and the kind of wave breaks at that in that those lovely two closing scenes um you know it's it's nice for the show to and not to be corny but to be asserting that it is what it is you know And kind of, I think, announcing some of its themes a bit more plainly, um, but still, you know, doing so in a really interesting, artistic, not typical TV fashion.
0: Yeah. No, and it's interesting, because like, that danger that I was worried about, I mean, the danger's there. Um, The danger's there with the fact that, you know, Craig is about to be deployed. Um, uh, But the danger I was worried about in terms of the party that's a that's that's a different show that's that's maybe euphoria that's maybe something else that's a different movie that's something else but like uh that we're trained to be worried about kids out of control drinking out of control partying um you know hyper situation whatever like we're trained to be to be ready for something to go terribly terribly wrong almost as like a moral judgment mm-hmm. you know you and i both i think are more goody two-shoes than these kids. So you and I both were gently, if not clutching, then at least like grabbing at our pearls occasionally or whatever. But like, but what's interesting is that this episode is like, no, that's not the danger. These kids, these dumb kids drinking to the point of vomiting or having sex or getting married or all their foolish shenanigans. That's not the thing that you should, you know, when we talk about, so I don't know if this is too much of like a wild stretch, but like we talk about American, American moral values when we talk about, like, I don't know, uh, film and TV ratings and stuff like that. And what's often true is that sex um, is more frowned upon than violence. And so this idea of, like, this, yes, this episode starts with, like, quasi violence among the kids with this paintball excursion, but like the idea of, of like the pleasures, a revel, a bacchanal or whatever, drinking and and shoving pasta into your hands with your fingers and um having sex and whatever, that's not the danger. The literal actual war is the danger and that and and that I think is the point of that juxtaposition.
1: Right. Exactly. Uh and in that um you know Moral heads are turned in one direction when a real atrocity has been happening for a long time, you know, uh, on that same supposed moral watch. Uh, and the show is definitely keen to that um, in a way that I appreciate. It's not bonking us over the head with it. It could have easily done that. Um, I mean, the danger that I was concerned about is that it was like a Russian mobster's house. and <laughs> you know? But again, that's a different show, um, yeah. thankfully. Um but you know i think you know but the, the going back to the russian house thing i mean these kids are playing on a little corner of the stage of geopolitics you know they are yeah. they are caught up in this the same as anyone else They in a different you know different fashion because they're not most of them aren't actually soldiers but they are living a soldier's life to some extent they are i mean as we all are to some extent like caught in that in that whirlpool in that in that system um and uh And zooming in and watching as individuals within that system stretch the boundaries of their lives and try to find themselves and explore with each other and with their surroundings um is happy you know even though that threat of danger was always there uh but uh i don't you know the show was not going to let us feel like that these kids were just you know living this unbridled sort of life for too long because they're not in reality
0: yeah, I mean, you know, in a different show, like one of the kids would have cracked their head open in that swimming pool or like, you know, OD'd on drugs or something like that. And I just like, I, I appreciate that for, I think that's, I mean, it's certainly with a bigger splash. It's a similar thing with a bigger splash, right? Cause there's just like, there's a, there's a party. There's like a debauched sort of party situation going on. And then there's murder, but. The party is not the danger, but then the party feels dangerous because we're living in a sort of um, environment of, of of death and murder. And that's just
1: interesting. Yeah. And there's a surprising death in I Am Love as well. Um right, It just happens right, yeah. like, well, like, you know, and um in a moment of, 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 of different passion, you know, and then this terrible thing happens. Um, so, yeah, I think. I do no, wanna, so go, yeah, no go, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, I do want to circle back to Fraser for a second and the, uh, this thing that we both relate to, which is this, like, how can I be helpful? How can mm-hmm. I give? How can I, you know, uh, be seen in doing that? Um, what I find interesting about Frasier is that he has, like, he has, I don't know if it's obliviousness or confidence, but he's more confidence than I do. Cause like, if Danny had yelled at me, I would, I would not have been confident enough to hand him a bag of chips. I would have just tried to make myself invisible. Oh, I would have politely
1: (laughs) declined the chips so I didn't have to deal with the chips. Yes,
0: exactly, right? Or, like, uh, you know, Sam is in the bathroom and needs to puke. I would not, like... I don't know, Bruin Lipton's. I don't know what that was um, that made him puke. But, um, you know, I would not go in and help the person who like clearly hates my guts and
1: stuff. And, like and hold his like just... little lock necklace while he's puking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, you know. But there was also
1: so, so... a bit of, I think, slightly sexual tenderness there coming from Fraser. You know, he was the
0: way he was touching, touching his, his body. His, like arm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think that was like fully altruistic maybe
0: fair i think that's fair um but yeah i did i did I, i liked i liked the premise of this i liked them going to this store pooling their money you know buying this little dress buying a blazer wearing dumb plastic lays and like going to a wedding like i was never like bold or brash or cool enough to do something like that as a team but i just like i i love this for them i love that they did it so um,
1: they're like giving themselves an occasion they're 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 seizing their their lives are so governed by like the orders from on high and you know like they have very little agency in their lives um right And this is something they could do. It meant maybe accelerating one of like a romantic narrative a little bit faster than it should have been. But like it was something, you know, and um, when we grow when we get older, we always it feels like need an excuse to have a party, a wedding or a, you know, whatever. You know, a lot of times kids just kind of do it to do it. But even this, like they're like, well, I think partly they were so excited about the wedding was because it meant they could like really had an excuse to drink and carry on you know (laughs) like they they were giving themselves uh that gift to each other which i think is sweet
0: yeah i loved it um so let's talk about the final moment of the episode which is um sarah seeing uh the soldiers off
1: soldiers who Uh uh richard had said weren't ready and she right. was just like well you know we got to send him like nothing we can do like people aren't ready all the time uh you're which right, is further right. kind of compounding this like tragedy of craig such of a young craig. person
0: i'm, I'm worried yeah. yeah um but yeah and what she says is make your make, i think because the sound mix was hard for me to hear, I rewound it a couple times. Make America and yourself proud. Uh-huh. Airborne, yeah, uh, is what I heard, and uh, which is a
1: lot to put on people. Yes. <laughs> like you should be personally proud of what you do, but obviously the whole nation comes first, <laughs> and it's like Jesus Christ, right. <laughs> like,
0: and also calling them airborne. I mean, I don't know if this—that's just like standard or whatever, but like it—it's so impersonal. Uh, even more impersonal to me than like soldier would be. Mm-hmm. It's not even like soldier, you, a person. It's like airborne, your like classification. Um, that I just, uh, yeah, it was, it was, and it was such just like a, and like when he leaves, I mean, not to, not to make it to Romeo and Juliet again, because what I, what I do like about this is it's like, it's not, the, the episode's not trying to sell me, Craig and Valentina as like a beautiful love story no. end game, or anything like that, but his last look that he gives as he's putting his shirt on and you hear the bird song, and it's very like it you know it was the lark sort of Romeo saying goodbye to Juliet on his way to the grave um after their wedding night and uh and then to juxtapose that was just like the cold, chilly morning, and everyone you know uh. In neatly in a row i i you th- think it's beautiful and really really tragic you know
1: yeah and and he the whole time when he's kind of surveying the the wreckage of the party but that has a peacefulness to it too he yeah. he looks so wistful you know exactly. because he's like regardless of what happens to him in his deployment his that was in essence the last night of his childhood Yeah, you know he was already in the military, so like one could argue it was already over. But but this really feels like a kind of almost ghostly goodbye, you know, hovering over everyone sleeping and um, disappearing with the dawn, you know. Like I mean, it's pretty um, it's pretty poignant, I think.
0: Right, and if he's you know, you know, fingers crossed that Craig comes back, um, you know, safely as safely his body as safely as can be, but like that Craig's not coming back for nope. whatever it is no. they're about to do that they're ill-prepared for. So, um, yeah, I've, I've loved this episode. I mean, uh, it was stressful <laughs> to watch at times, um, mostly cause it just made me feel like throwing up, uh, in certain, uh, moments. The kids were really good at, at just looking like really, really obscenely drunk and, and on the verge of vomiting most of the time. Um, And that can be tough to watch. But I think ultimately, uh, it's a really beautiful story that he's weaving around this character of Craig, who, you know, has been fairly peripheral thus far. So, yeah. All right. Anything else you want to say before we find out what happens uh, on the base next week?
1: No, I think that's it. Good episode. Well done, everybody
0: yeah well done um all right until until we return where will you be Richard
1: uh I got a flight to Venice because I have a house to clean because that was stressing <laughs> me out let me tell you uh and then I'll also be It was you know, go ahead
0: it was, it was the pasta sauce on the wall
1: Ugh, exactly <laughs> exactly because like but beer bottles you can pick up ashtrays you can empty the sauce on the wall on the in that white kitchen that could oh. be a problem uh yeah. so oh well uh, but I'm also tweeting at Rylaws as ever and writing at VF dot com. Joanna, until we head back to Italy next week, where will you be?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Joe Wrote This. You can find me on vanityfair dot com. But mostly you can find me handing out discounts on wedding blazers <laughs> <laughs> to random teenagers yeah. at the Army surplus or whatever. It's a good
1: business model. They'll be back. They'll have there'll be another wedding. <laughs>
0: Another wedding next
1: week. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival.